Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. But right now, you can give a call. James is producing today, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. He'll be answering the phone. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. And Mr. Kelly. Yo. Where'd you get that fancy hat? KMOX oh, I got Cardinals? this probably at uh, KMOX Day at the ballpark a few years back. Oh, really? I would think. Yeah, it's pretty Snazzy. cool, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Figured after they won big last night, I'd sport a little Cardinal gear this morning. <laughs> so Very generous. Yeah, it's you. pretty cool, though. <laughs> yeah. it, it's that old style. It kind of has the the logo on it like the old Stan Musial jerseys from back in the 50s. That's true. So it's that old school kind of look with a black bat, and right. it is KMOX on the side. So, yeah, I kind of like it. Snazzy. I'll sell it to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you $700. Okay. That's a deal. Okay. I'll meet you afterwards. All right. All right. Great. Do you take uh, credit cards? Yes. Okay. Uh, just give me your credit card. Okay. I'll take it. Here. <laughs> See you soon. It is Saturday morning, and we get together, and we have a discussion about what's going on in your landscape. Man, oh, man, so many things. Wow, we. Uh, the weather is just now really getting nice and calm. Some of the summer things, unfortunately, got erased because of the craziness of all the rain and then the droughts and the rains and droughts. And even though you're doing, uh, let's say, additional watering during the dry periods, some of the plant material just didn't make it quite so well. But other things really look spectacular. As I walk around or drive around, some yards I'm just absolutely amazed by. And uh, what do you need to be doing this time of year? And uh what I try to do is share information with you and help you orchestrate the best ideas. But remember, the final judgment for the action you're going to take is going to be on your shoulders. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home car, wherever you have to be listening. Another important player, as I said earlier, is James. He's producing. He pushes all the buttons and answers the phone. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I come to your home and do a landscape consultation. If you'd like for me to do a walk and talk around your yard, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com. On the homepage is my email address and phone number where I can be reached. And today I'm headed over to Swansea and a brand new development because uh, the owner had to send me directions to get to his home. So 
over in Swansea, off old Collinsville Road. Anyway, today's Good Guardian Stroll. I started off, and I was going to walk, and it was pouring. I mean, so hard. When I was driving down here on the way, I was going to walk around Lafayette Square. But anyway, it was raining so hard, I couldn't even see the stripes in the road or anything. So I thought... What am I going to do? So I decided to do my good gardening stroll around the building where we are located. And it's originally was built by Missouri Pacific Railroad. It's Missouri Pacific Building. And the classic entrance is on 13th Street. And it's kind of a neat. It's at Olive, Tucker, and 13th. And I think the other street is Chestnut. I'm not positive. But anyway, around the outside, the street trees include several different types. There are some elm trees. There's some maple trees, and there's some columnar white oaks. And uh, with when you look out from the building, anyway, straight out is a park, and I don't think the park actually has straight out from the entranceway on 13th. I don't think that this segment of the park has a name. But to the south is a soldier's memorial, and to the north is a branch of the, you know, the main branch of the St. Louis Public Library. But the plant material around, besides the trees, there's pots at a lot of different entrances. And a lot of most of them have upright junipers. I can't tell exactly which variety it is. But also they've got some uh, chartreuse sweet potato vines cascading down. Some of them have some annual periwinkle. Others have some mandevilla vines. And it's really just kind of a neat, very subtle type circumstance. And the ground floor uh, potentially has lots of different restaurants and stuff, but they're kind of off and on right now because of the craziness that's going on. So anyway, that was a good gardening stroll. I whimped out because it was raining so hard because if I step out, my paper gets wet and then it's lost. So anyway, by the time I got here and parked, it has slowed down enough and there was enough insets with all the different entrances to the, to the building where I could actually make some notes and, you know, talk about just what's right around this building. So it just I'm amazed at a railroad way back when. I don't know when this building was built, but uh, could build a building of this, you know, stature. It is really quite spectacular architecturally, stone-wise and everything else. So anyway— that was a good gardening stroll. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go ahead and take one before we go to breaks. Let's head over to Overland. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Yes, this is Nadette from Overland. Um, I usually call you once in a while. I'm calling for my neighbor. She's got a magnolia. It's a flowering tree magnolia and all of a sudden uh, it's turning brown and it has holes in the leaves and she's just wondering what happened she bought it from home depot garden club and it was fine for three years uh is this an evergreen magnolia or is this one that's deciduous in other words loses its leaves no it's a deciduous so well if it's you know if she's seeing that right now it's, if it's three years old, I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. My guess is it's probably just a result of kind of the goofy weather we've had because we've had yeah. extended periods of really harsh rain, and then we've had extended periods of drought, and the root system is not established enough to make it you know, through those times. So 
if okay. the foliage is turning brown and just have her check the end of the branches because just to see if there's any flower buds because the magnolias are summer blooming or spring blooming magnolias will set the buds this time of year. So just have her look and see if there is any flower well, buds on the yeah, end. Yeah, she gave me a piece here and I see two flower buds. Okay, so then overall then I wouldn't be overly concerned. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, I've got another question really fast. My other neighbor wanted me to call you because she has a, a three-year-old peach tree, got really big, was full of peaches, and all of a sudden the peaches are gone. Uh, I, we suspect that it's the squirrels we don't know, and so she wants to know what to do to protect it next year. What's the best way? There's really no, I mean... Other than putting some netting over the top of it, there's not not too much else she can do. But I will tell her that if she gets too many too many peaches growing on some branches, it can cause some stress cracks in the peach tree. So it's okay oh. to let it flower because they're nice and enjoyable. But once the fruit starts setting, and you can kind of see the fruits, about half of it take off, so the tree can do a better job with the peaches. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, we didn't think about that. What kind of netting, though, would she get? Where do it's uh, you go to low and ask for some kind of netting? Or yeah, something? right. Just something that would just be you know more a yeah. landscape netting, just protection wise. Okay, okay. And very very fast. The last thing uh, we are all invaded with this vine this year that has like white flowers. Right. It's, what is it, and what do we do? Yeah, it's very invasive, and it's very fragrant, and it's called Sweet Autumn Clematis. So it's a clematis oh. vine, but it is extremely invasive with its seed. Yeah. Oh, so there's nothing we can do. It's just <laughs> well, cut then it back. just get yeah. You have to kind yeah. of kill it off with either an herbicide or dig it up. But there's nothing yeah. you can do beyond that. Okay. But yeah, it's all over the metropolitan area. I see, yeah, but when I drive around, I see everybody's got it. Okay, well, thank you so much, Mike. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Trusted information, live and local. From the award-winning KMOX Newsroom. Yes, folks, questions, 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. doesn't have to be questions, maybe comments, concerns, or whatever it happens to be. Anyway, let's go to Jean's, and she lives in Oakville. Hi, Jean. Hi, Mike. Hi. Yes, go ahead. Hmm. guess Jean cut off. Anyway, now let's head out to Mike, and he lives in the city of St. Louis. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. I have a question. Uh, I have a zoysia, small yard lawn. I had uh, some really bad brown spots on it this year. And my yard, I do have a guy, a service that takes care of it as far as fertilizing and that. He kept telling me it was from a late freeze in the spring that it would come back. And it got to be past July 4th. Everybody else's lawn's there and mine's not. I finally asked some other guy to look at it, and he found cinch bugs. So I had my guy come back and said, hey, I got cinch bugs. And he took care of those, and the zoysia finally, even though it's not going to come in for long, is starting to come in, but it's still pretty bare in spots. Right. So they told me that maybe I might want to, like, add some seeding 
And one guy says fescue and one guy says rye, and they said that'll help me like for next year, maybe the year after while the zoysius comes back and spreads. Is any of that making any sense to you? Well, it does to a certain point, but what I would do is I would just kind of leave things as they are and just get, if you've got, you know, whether they're big spots or little spots, if they got, if you have big spots of, let's say, dead area, just next year when the zoysia becomes available as sod, you know, just put some new sod in that spot rather than waiting for the existing lawn that you have to try to move into these this, these locations. Unless you want to be very patient, and if you don't want, to, you know, if there's relatively smaller areas, then you can get zoysia plugs as opposed to a, you know pieces of sod. Right. So if you were going to seed in the sun, which one would you recommend between those two? Uh, fescue and rye. Well, the fescue, the rye is going to be. Doesn't survive here very well, so probably it would be the rye because you want it to not stick around. Where the fescues, I mean, once they get established, sometimes they they can battle with the zoysia. Many times, people okay. think zoysia can kill stuff off, and sometimes it can, but sometimes it can't. It just depends upon the soil circumstance. But also, what I do, you know, if you did have the chinch bugs, yes, they do cause problems with the zoysia. But also to get a soil test done now and find out what's in your ground because if this guy's been doing fertilization and other things consistently with the same stuff over and over and over again, he may have created a circumstance that kind of, set, besides the chinch bugs, sets a scenario where your zoysia may not be as healthy and, and vigorous as it can be. because if there's Okay, who do I do that soil test through? Or? Uh, you can go through the University of Missouri Extension Service. Okay, and I have some one more. I have some banana trees that I dig up every year, and I uh-huh. put in the basement. And a lot of times, I'll bring them out, and everything's really wet and damp except for the root, and they do come back. But like some of them, I can keep the stalk still solid. How do you recommend storing those after you dig them up? I've been putting them in plastic bags and tying the plastic bags tight around the bottom of the trunk and uh, root. Yeah, don't do that. Basically, right. I would just dig them up and put them in, you know, in paper bags and cut the top of, top of them off, and so only leave okay. like a stub of about a you know a couple inches. Oh, really? Just a couple inches, a couple inches, and the root, and that's it. Exactly. And put okay. them in paper. Appreciate- put them in paper, not plastic. Okay, I appreciate your help. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, sometimes Thanks. people think the plastic will keep the root systems, you know, moist. Yes, it will. But uh, they really don't need a whole lot of moisture. They can survive pretty well. And now let's see, where should we go? Should we go back to Jean and see if Jean's there? Hi, Jean. How are you? Hi, I'm here. I hit the wrong button. Oh. Okay. Um, last year, my limelight hydrangea, um, in early October when the flowers started browning, I cut the flowers off. I headed them. And then I trimmed the willowy branches down to the ground. And I only cut the hardwood to about two foot high. Can I go lower with the hardwood? Because they they just went bonkers this year. They were over six foot tall. Well, cutting them back from one foot, let's say, down to two feet is not going to make any difference, to be honest. Okay, so I can go pretty low? Yeah, you know, just... Just, you know, be careful that you don't cut them so low that uh, they kind of forget what they are. But, yeah, you should be fine doing that. 
how low would you recommend from the ground up that uh, I should probably, go? Probably, you know, for the next year, I would cut them down since you had a two, go down to one foot. And then if they do well for you and you're happy with how they're working, then in the future, maybe go down to six inches. Okay, because they were absolutely, I mean, there's hundreds of them on here. It's three plants. And, I mean, I couldn't believe they were taller than I was this year. <laughs> so, okay, thank you so much. I will do exactly what you said. Great. And have a good day. Yeah, Bye-bye. you too. And now let's head out to St. Charles and go into Mike's chart. Hi, Mike. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Good. Uh, quick question. Um, I battle crabgrass every year. Is there anything I can do in the fall to help me keep it down in the summer for next year or the spring? Uh, basically, the pre-emergence you got to put out for the crabgrass is going to be in the springtime. I do that every year, but then I still get a lot of crabgrass. Wow, that's can surprising. Because the, there's, I, I mean, there's the pre-emergent down, and then there's an item called Spectricide Weed Stop for Lawns and Crabgrass Killer. Right. Could I spray that as well as put down the pre-emergent? Yeah, you can do that, but just, I mean, the pre-emergent is going to be a lot earlier than what you're going to do, because the other one is actually when the crabgrass is actively growing and you can see it. Right. Um, so, But just read the label, watch out for temperature-wise, make sure you don't do any kind of damage. Is there a certain pre-emergent that you prefer? No. A brand? No, not really, because, I mean, there's several of them, and it's just whatever one that your favorite garden center you go to has, because they're all going to be pretty functional, you know, when it comes to being able to kill seeds as it germinates. Yeah, I usually buy the Scott's brand. Yeah, that's fine. Um, uh, Secondly, um, when the crabgrass dies in the fall and winter, does does that crabgrass come back, or is it all new crabgrass? No, it's an annual. Crabgrass is an annual, so once it dies at the end of the season, it's gone. But what it's been doing the whole time, and right now, it's push, you know pushing out seeds, and then the drops of seed, and that's what comes back the next year. That's what the pre-emergence all about. Yeah, sure. Uh, now, when I aerate, and that, am I just pushing that old crabgrass down into the yard? Or no, that's not that's not going to make that much difference. All right, thanks for your help. Sure, my pleasure. Because a crabgrass seed is just going to lay there on the surface. It doesn't really matter, you know, if you, the little plugs coming out as a result of core aeration or something. So it's not going to make that much difference. And let's go now to Collinsville and to Monty's yard. Hi, Monty. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, I've got a lot of English ivy as ground cover, and a lot of the thinner spots I have trouble with clover growing up through that. I pull it out, of course it comes right back. Is there a way I can avoid that or kill it? Uh, basically, you know, using an all-purpose herbicide like Roundup is the best, you know, best thing. And since it's got, you know, in among, let's say, your ivy, you're probably going to have to, rather than spraying it, maybe get the Roundup and paint it directly onto, you know, the clover plants. Okay. Well, thank you. Nothing nothing pre-weed uh, uh, stop or anything that won't hurt the ivy, huh? No. Basically, and if you had grass growing in there, too, you can put a grass killer over the ivy, and it won't bother the ivy, but it will kill any kind of grass that you might have growing in there. Okay, but it won't kill the clover. No, no. Okay. Got one more question. Are we still going to be cutting grass at Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you've got a cool season lawn, you certainly could. Now, the zoysias, 
you know, their their growth rate is slowing down a little bit, but it's still pretty aggressive. Yeah, yeah. Okay, sir. Well, thank you for your help. Sure, my pleasure. And we've got phone lines open, so 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Get the inside story on what's happening with your St. Louis Cardinals this season directly from the Redbirds manager. It's the Mike Schilt Show, Sunday mornings at 10-15, sponsored by Bath Fitter on your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, KMOX. If you are going to submit a soil sample, either whether it's a private company or to the University of Missouri, please dry the sample before you submit it. So obviously on a day like this, you're not going to go out or you shouldn't probably because it's just going to take too long to dry it out. Uh, go out and take a soil sample when it's this wet. So when you do take it, though, at least, you know, the, for even if it seems like it's dry, put it on newspaper and let it sit out overnight before you put it into the Ziploc to submit it. So dry sample is really important. From the standpoint, if you take a wet sample to them, they're going to have to let it dry out, and that's going to kind of mess up the whole, you know, circumstance speed-wise and everything else. So let's see. Where should we go? Let's go out to St. Charles and into Derek's yard. Hi, Derek. Hey, how's it going? Good. Hey, uh, i got a question here about these uh, shrub-style crepe myrtles. How and when uh, do you prune them? I did it last year, like late in the year, and it seems to maybe – uh seems maybe they didn't like it all that much. Well, anything that blooms in the summertime, which crepe myrtle, butterfly bushes, and several other things do, you can prune them pretty much from the time they kind of stop flowering in the fall until the new growth foliage-wise begins in the spring. So you got about several months to you know to do the pruning. So so that late fall that I did last year, you don't think where I'm seeing a few dead uh, branches on inside that's not from that. No, it's not. It's just, you know, whatever happened with those particular branches, you're never going to have it perfect because this is just not, our region's not a place where they're going to come and take pictures for catalogs. And it's uh, safe to cut any of that dead off, kind of, even if they, during the year when they're growing? Oh, sure. Anything that doesn't have any foliage on it or anything, there's no problem taking, you know, getting rid of it. Okay, and then what about, like, uh, like how much would you, when you go to prune them, say I do it, you know, in, in February before they start growing, these things are about maybe nine, 10 foot tall currently. Can I, how, how much can you go with them? Like how far down can you take them? I probably wouldn't take them. I wouldn't take off more than half. Not more than half. Yeah. Ideally it would be like 20 or 30%, but the maximum would be half. Sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, I got something else. Uh, just kind of wanted to add. I know. I I know. A few minutes ago, you had a caller said he's having problems with crabgrass. He always has problems with the crabgrass. Right. Just kind of wanted to add uh, maybe some some details that he might not be thinking about in that. But you know the the sunlight um, breaks that pre-emergent down. So if you have a lawn that's got a really dense turf you know, your pre-emergent might last all the way up until August really well. But if the, if the actual desirable turf isn't very, very dense, your pre-emergent is going to break down a lot quicker. Right. Also, if it doesn't, if it doesn't get watered in um, soon, that sunlight in the early spring is beating down on it. It's breaking it down quicker. So um, 
sometimes maybe applying a, a little bit more or even splitting your applications in half instead of doing your full rate in April, do half of it in early April, and then a month later do the other half. We've seen sometimes that will help you get longer through the season without your crabgrass coming through and taking over your yard in, in July and August. Great. Well, thanks for the insight. So that hopefully that guy is uh, looking at aerating and seeding his yard right, right now, and, and maybe he won't need as much herbicide next spring. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and the reason why I'm saying you don't want to cut your crepe myrtles back too far because sometimes if you get them lower to the ground, let's say then I said half would be the maximum, the the functional buds you know are still going to be there, but are they going to be able to – produce the foliage and the flowers and everything else. So that's why you have to kind of watch out just in general. So thanks, Derek. And now let's head to South County and go into Ralph's yard. Hi, Ralph. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, I live in South County and, and a lot of pin oaks out this way. And I know you've talked about these wasp uh, galls or whatever. Right. But in my area, it looks like every neighbor, every yard in my neighborhood has them. And the trees look like they're dying. Is there anything that a homeowner can do, or do you have to go to a tree service for the treatment? Yeah, pretty much there's nothing you can do. And even the treatment from a professional, let's say, tree service, they would try to inject this, you know, inject it into the trees. But once the trees are infected, what happens, the problem is the wasp are not ones that are going to, like, say, I— was born in South County, but I want to kind of let the wind take me someplace else. They kind of have a tendency to stay right in that neighborhood or sometimes right around that same tree. So that's where the real problem comes in. Once it's kind of there in the first place, you just got a nightmare after nightmare after nightmare. Well, the question also, I have two trees that are 50 years old, and I'd like to save them. And then there's two other trees toward the back of the yard that are pretty much far gone. And one tree service said he wouldn't worry about the two that are far gone, but he would treat the other two. And then another service suggested cutting the two that are infested in the back down to keep the other two from getting it. So I'm not real sure. Is there a tree service that you recommend? Well, Timberline Tree Service is one that I do, you know, do spots for, so you might give them a call. And what, what's your thoughts on removing or leaving the other two? Well, if you've got, if the, your neighborhood is full of them, that just just because what I said is the wasp are going to stay around the tree where they were born, they're still going to drift, you know, from your neighbor or, you know, somebody uh, house three houses down or something along that line. So just because you take the most infected ones out of your yard and your neighborhood is full of them, that's not going to make that much difference, to be honest. Would you think it would be worth trying to save the 50-year-old trees before they get infested? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be worth a try to see. And, I mean, there's still, I mean, it's going to be a roll of the dice. As trees get older, I mean, just their ability to, let's say, let me put it this way. The injection is going to go in there, but it's going to take a couple years to work its way up to become effective as far as, you know, doing the control. And so it's just going to be you're just kind of in some ways rolling the dice. So it sounds like you have to continue doing the service from what I understand from the tree service like every year, every other year. Right, exactly. 
So it's like a timeshare deal, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Mike. Have a great weekend. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's see. Let's go over to Nancy's, and she lives in South County. Hi, Nancy. Good morning. Hi. I have a, a hydrangea that has gotten really big, and I'd like to know when can I cut it back? How do I cut it back? And um, I know it grows on the old wood. Right. So I'd like to keep it because it's really a nice bush. So when is this particular variety bloom? Is it in the spring or in the summer? Well, I guess it's it's summer because it's still got nice blooms okay. on it. They're fading away now. Yeah, so once you, I mean, aesthetically, you can prune it if you want to, if you feel like you need to. You've got, uh, you know, that's because it is a summer bloomer, just like I was talking about the crepe myrtle and the butterfly bushes and things like that. You got from the time it finishes and the foliage starts falling off, you can prune it then all the way up until the new growth, meaning foliage-wise, starts emerging in the springtime. So you got several months to do the pruning. And as oh, far okay. as the amount of pruning, 20% is what I always recommend. But, you know, a lot of times you can cut more, you can cut them back a little bit more. My tendency would be to cut some of the, you know, branches coming up out of the ground at 20%, maybe cut some of them back to 30%, and maybe some of them halfway Okay. And just kind of, that will keep it looking, you know, somewhat natural. Okay. Rather than just, you know, a tight, you know, a tight, uh, let's say, crew cut. Okay. (laughs) That sounds great. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And let's see if we can get one more in before we got to go to break. Anita from Swansea. Hi, Anita. Hi. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good. Uh, I have got, uh, I well, you were talking about crabgrass, and I thought that's what I had in my yard that I get from my neighbors. It grows in big, it starts small, and then it goes into big bunches. Is that what it is? Very well could be. And right now it's, you know, it's sitting out flower spikes, you know, and then that's going to be where the seed is. So it grows pretty flat. Yeah, that's what this is. And right. I've, been, I've been pulling it up, but uh, to no avail. It's just... Uh, my neighbors have it. That's what they use for their grass. <laughs> well, well I mean, That's... you're pulling it up out of your yard. You just, you know, I mean, the seed's got to get into your yard one way or another. So once you get rid of it in your yard by pulling it or whatever you do, just make sure that you pull it before it starts doing any kind of, a, you know, flowering. Because once it starts flowering, then it's going to be dropping the seed for next year. Yeah, well, you know what? I don't remember seeing any flower on it. Well, it looks like a spike. It's not technically, it's not a flower per se. Okay. All right. And, uh, okay, uh, I've got some stuff. I, I took it to the nursery, and it's from the back of my house. That I took it to the nursery, and they said it was akin to Bermuda. It creeps up into my yard. It's it's very fine. It Oh. And uh, she said it was akin to, to Bermuda. Uh, does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, it could be. I mean, it's what, specifically what it is, it's hard to say without actually seeing it. Yeah, well, do I spread, do I have to, because, you know, I pull it up and everything. That's why I spend my time pulling my weeds up all over. Um, but it, uh, do I put uh, I'd, the... Uh, I'd probably the, use an herbicide. You know, a grass killer on it. A, a 
just a grass killer? Yeah, and see okay. what happens. Try that and see how effective it is. Okay, and I, I've already put my, down my pre-emergent for the winter. Is that too early? Uh, no, you're kind of right when you should start doing it. Yeah, I put it down about two weeks ago. Yeah, it's a little bit early, but you should be okay. Yeah, because I had my uh, my yard pre uh, had it uh, aerated yet this last Thursday. Ooh. And now see if you put the pre immersion down and then aerate it after. That's not how you have to do it. You have to aerate first, then put the pre immersion down. Oh well, it was two weeks ago. Was that long enough to wait? No. You have no, to put the, you have to put the pre immersion down after you core aerate. Okay. Because a coeration breaks the barrier of what a pre-emergent does. It creates a chemical barrier on the ground surface, and then consequently, if you're plugging, pulling plugs up out of the ground, you're breaking that barrier, and you're making it basically ineffective. Okay. Well, should I put down some more pre-emergent? It probably wouldn't hurt. Okay. All right. And then I was going to put some compost on top of the gra- uh, the uh, the coeration. Do I put that on with a spreader, or do I um, just throw it out? Well, either way, whatever you want to do, just spread it. Okay, and I have a wagila uh, plant, three of them, or they're bushes, and they're very. I called before, and you said I, I haven't haven't trimmed them. And you said I have should wait until next. They're going. It'll take. If I do it now, it will take off the flowers. For exactly. Next year. So you you have to wait until they flower next year because they're spring bloomers. Okay. All right, Anita, we got to run. I know, kiddo. Thank you very right. much. Sure. Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX. And Linda from Chesterfield, how are you? Nice to talk to you, Mike. I have a pruning question. Uh, I uh, started a clematis last fall, uh, planted it uh, on my new pergola, and they came up very nicely this spring. Uh, I'm very pleased with them. I love them, but I don't want to make a mistake with pruning them the first time. And I'm wondering if you can give me some advice on timing and how far down I should prune, et cetera. There's probably summer bloomers, I'm assuming. But yeah, with late clem- summer, early fall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With a clematis, since they're young, you can cut them back pretty low and just, you know, kind of encourage more, let's say, stems coming up out of the ground. If, and what time of year would I do that now? Basically, you know, when they finish flowering. So before the new growth begins in the springtime, and any time after they finish flowering and the foliage starts falling off of them. Okay, so basically the vine's going to be there all winter long, and then I'll just cut it off late winter. Right, exactly. You can do it okay. around Valentine's Day. It should be work perfectly. Oh, super. Okay, thanks so much. Sure, my pleasure. And we probably can't get another call in because we're almost out of time for this hour. I'm going to go back to this weed circumstance. When you're putting the pre-emergent down this time of year, you're not doing it for the crabgrass. The crabgrass is a pre-emergent that you would put down when in the springtime when the forsythia is in bloom. The weeds right now that if you put a pre-emergent down now, you're going after henbit, you're going after chickweed, the annual bluegrass, the Persian speedwell, and a few other ones also. So those are the ones that are the cool season weeds that grow all winter long. 
And guess what? They're, while they're growing, they're also producing the seed. And that's what happens. They'll die because they're annuals, but they've dropped seed the whole time. And then the seed is what comes back the following year. And that's the same thing with the warm season weeds, which uh, crabgrass is one of those. But again, this time of year, the pre-emergent that you're putting down is for henbit, dead nettle, chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce, Persian speedwell. And that's what you're basically killing the seed as it germinates. But you can't put the pre-emergence down like the one lady said and then correlate after because you're basically making it so the pre-emergent becomes dysfunctional. So a pre-emergent really creates a chemical barrier or layer on the top of the ground. And then when the seed germinates, guess what? It kills it right then. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. I will see you after the news. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, it's the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, you can give us a call 314 or 36 7900 or 1 800 925 1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly, what do you think this rain has done to your garden? Well, it'll be interesting. It poured on Monday, remember? It right. just poured, and I mean really, really poured. So, uh, And I was trying to follow your advice and not water the plants as often. <laughs> yeah. Ask me how that turned out. <laughs> so I'm, I guess we're going to be getting it again. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, some of the, like, some that went dormant when it was really hot are starting to come back. We got Great. one little plant that's looking really nice now, so... So hopefully it'll it'll work out okay. Perfect. And it'll fill the pond. It, it got a little low, so that's good. <laughs> the little pond I have in the corner back there. Well, great. Yeah, and the hummingbirds are crazy. Remember, I, was it last week I said, I think they're starting to pack their bags and right. head south? I don't think so. Either that or some have gone and been replaced because it is really, really busy around the feeder still. Well, so maybe cool. global warming. Maybe they'll start spending this year-round here in this metropolitan area. But I think that it's more the daylight than the warmth. Because ah. they have to have that many hours to eat because that's they eat and then use up all that energy the whole time trying to eat again. Right, exactly. Which is somebody told him, if you slow down, you don't have to eat as much. <laughs> but anyway, so I, I, so I think they're going to be leaving soon. But right now, they're just going crazy. Sounds perfect. Yeah, it's fun. Great. You bet. See you later. Yes, folks, the tip of the trial hour. And uh, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for ups and downs and all arounds to annuals. Bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take towards success, but it's strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is James. He's producing, so he answers the phone as well. During the week and weekends, I spend time doing landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. Today after the show, I'm headed over to Swansea, and I don't know if it's going to be raining because I do it rain or shine, but we'll see what it's going to be like in an hour or two from right now. And what I do is when I come, we'll share my 40-plus years, oh, I'm so old, of experience related to the, your plant material. 
At the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Garden clubs, several different kinds of garden clubs. Um, This time of year, the Greater St. Louis Daffodil Society. You can get your bulbs now, your tulips, your spring flowering bulbs, but do not plant them. But just kind of with these, cl- you know, these garden clubs, it's really kind of neat to go to the meetings and just listen to the stories that people have and the insight they have. It's really kind of great. Also, the Greater St. Louis Orchid Society, they meet at the Missouri Botanical Garden. And uh, the Greater St. Louis Dahlia Society, they meet at the Botanical Garden as well. So the Daffodil Society, spring stuff, Dahlias is summer, and then orchids is inside basically and blooms, I have some orchids that kind of, not the same ones bloom all year long, but uh, I got some out of the orchids that I have almost always in bloom. It's just kind of absolutely amazing. So when you go to the society meetings, it's just kind of absolutely incredible, and it's just a neat experience just kind of in general. So let's take a uh, call or two before we go to break. Let's head out to Crestwood and go into Patchard. Hi, Pat. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, last year, earlier this year, I purchased a packet of bulbs that had gladiola, lilium asiatic, adalia, and something called A-C-E-D-A-N-T-H-E-R-A. The last one, I got a lot of green from them, but no flowers. And so I'm kind of wondering, when do I dig up all these bulbs to dry to maybe over winter? Uh, basically... You know, maybe it's just the size, the maturity of this particular. I could, you know, I'm not exactly sure what that, you know, the plant that you spelled is, you know, which bulb that actually is. But it sounds like they were all summer bulbs, and so. But you had, you said there was an Asiatic lily. Um, yeah, it's a Lilium Asiatic. Yeah, that one is a perennial, so that one stays in the ground. Oh, okay. And the other ones, you said gladiola, that one, you, usually you can dig it up. Did you, I'm assuming, I'm assuming they're gladiola flowered. Yes, and okay. they bloom beautifully. I put them in pots, but they were so top-heavy that they kept just bending over, snapping off. So I'm going to have to put them in the ground so I can tie them to the fence or something. <laughs> right, but a lot of times the gladiolas only have one year, and then they're kind of kapoof. So give them a try, dig them up, and then plant them again next year, and you may have luck with them, but that's generally not the case with the gladiolas just, you know, overall. So they're kind of an annual-type bulb, but uh, you may get a couple years out of them. Who knows? And every year, every setting and every yard and every whatever could be different and could have an impact on it. Okay, and the dahlia, I'm assuming that's the one because there was only one of those bulbs. It's got a big white flower on it. Right. Yeah, and the hummingbirds love it. Oh, absolutely. And the dahlia is one of those that you do have to dig up and take inside. Okay. Okay, and if I divide my uh, daylilies, doing that in the spring is best? Uh, Not necessarily. You can do them in the fall, and a lot of times to do things like that, in the fall, it's better than the spring because the fall, the ground is still warm. Just do it rel- relatively quickly. The ground's warm, so that means the new root system of the plants that have been divided can get established, and then it gets to go to sleep for the wintertime. 
where if you do it in the spring, the ground is cold, so it doesn't do much root growth, and then it's facing the summer, which is like the most stressful season for new transplants or new plants that have been divided or new installations. Okay, so the ones that are that I dig up that I don't want anymore, they can be transplanted elsewhere. Yes. Okay, great. All right, well, thank you very much, Certainly. Mike. And let's go to Dave and Arnold. Hi, Dave. Yeah, hey, Mike, how you doing? Good. Uh, I got a, a real nice, about a 20-foot spruce tree, and the company I have that do my, does my yard, I got a vine growing up in it, and they say there's nothing I can do about it. I, I don't know what it is. I tried pulling it. I pull them out as I see them, but they get, well, some of them grow all the way up to the top of the tree. Is there anything I can do to put on it to stop that? Basically, what you can do is, like, take Roundup and paint it on the leaves. Or what you can do is you can see where it's coming up out of the ground under in your you know underneath your spruce tree. I'm assuming, yeah. Just cut you know cut that stem that's coming up out of the ground, and as soon as you make the cut, you know put some Roundup on that open wound. Okay, is that now? They told me that 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 if I don't do it, that, that this will eventually kill the tree. Is that correct? Well, it could. Uh, you know, without I mean, there's all kinds of vines, so. If it's a wild grape, it can, you know, basically create an umbrella over it. So why, yeah. you know, why they're telling you, why they just didn't take care of the problem, I'm not really sure. But basically just, you know, cut the stem about six or eight inches above the ground and then put the roundup on it. And, and then basically you might see some new growth, you know, new stems coming up out of the ground and then just go after each one that you see. Okay. Well, thanks very much. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Dependable. Traffic and weather together on the 10s. Weekday mornings on The Voice of St. Louis. KMOX. Back to the phones we go, and Marianne lives in Chesterfield. Hi, Marianne. Uh, hi, Mike. Let me get you off speakerphone here. Hi, uh, we have a lot of beautiful hosta in our yard that we've managed to enjoy all summer, but now the deer have gotten to them. And, you know, just like the stalks are sticking up with some of the partial leaves and they're brown and they look awful. And can I cut those down to the ground or do those have to, you know, like a bulb have to go back into the root or... No, you can I, I cut just, them. Yeah, you can cut them off. Just, just cut them off. Yeah, and I down mean, to the ground. They're kind of. I mean, the the amount of, let's say, the energy that they needed, they've already, you know, been drawing in through you know indirect sunlight and everything else, and so they've already rebuilt the root system for next year. So consequently, what would go on as the days get shorter is not going to make a huge difference. So. Whether the deer ate them or not, once you know, once they sort of get it, you know, get aesthetically not so pleasing, you can cut them down at that time. Okay, okay. I do have one more question. I've been listening to all the crabgrass talk this morning. Right. And I is crabgrass the same as Bermuda grass? No, totally different. Bermuda oh, grass okay. is a perennial type grass. Crabgrass is an annual grass. So they're and completely look different. Bermuda has a narrow blade. Crabgrass has a really thick, bulky blade. I mean, it's really wide. Oh, okay. Well, we have Bermuda grass, and it's coming from our neighbor. And 
Is there any way to get rid of Bermuda grass? Because really, my lawn service is telling me you have to kind of like dig up your whole lawn and you have to go down like six inches and get rid of the roots. And no, you don't have to do it, that. There's actually, you know, there's some herbicides. If you don't mind using, let's say, Roundup, Roundup will kill it. But it will also kill the grass. Right. If, if uh, I mean, what we've got left of the other kind of grass. So the, uh, so the Bermuda's mixed in with the other one? Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's kind of, yeah. Then I would say just don't bother looking at that area because it's you're going to be really difficult. I mean, your lawn service yeah. is basically kind of telling you the truth if they're mixed yeah. together. I thought you meant you just had one big patch of Bermuda. Oh. That way you can kill it off. I didn't realize it was weaving in with your, let's say, it's desirable all, lawn. Yeah, it's all mixed in at this point. So yeah. We've just kind of decided to live with it, but, you know, you still kind of think, oh, maybe, <laughs> you know, maybe there's something, Yeah, you know. If there's ever a full moon, you can go out and dance under the full moon and see if that will help. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm not a very good dancer, but okay. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's see, town and country, and that's where Karen happens to live. Hi, Karen. Hi, Mike. Um, thanks for your show. You're always very helpful. Um we planted a bald cypress tree last year, and uh, it sustained a, a, a slight damage from deer at the bark before we put a fence around it. But anyway, this year, um, there is a lot of growth in the lower uh, trunk, and it looks really scruffly. Um, is there any reason that I can't just trim those branches off? How, and it's been in the ground one year? Yeah. I would say don't do any kind of pruning for at least another year or two. And okay. the reason for that is because the more leaves, needles, that are on there, that's going to make the tree healthier, get its root system established better, and everything else. If you start cutting off stuff, then the ability, because it's the needles slash leaves that make the chlorophyll. It uses sunlight and then takes the nutrients and moisture up you know, from the ground. So what you want to do is just... Want, let it go ahead and be, let's say, ugly or whatever for a couple of years. Then after that, you can limit up. Okay, that's great. Um, thank you. And one other quick question. Last week, I think you were talking about splitting um, bushes and shrubs at this time of year that don't that bloom in the spring. I think is what you said. So we have a spirea that's kind of overgrown the walkway that it's uh, adjacent to. Is is that a plant that would be good to split? in the next couple of weeks? No, it's it's really kind of too late. Oh, okay. <laughs> so the spring stuff you want to do basically right after they finish flowering. So whether it's pruning or dividing or whatever it happens to be, it would be the summer stuff, the summer bloomers, that you would be doing this time of year. Oh, okay. Well, it bloomed kind of late, so I thought maybe it was like June, so I didn't know. Okay. Mm. So wait for next spring to split that. Then. Right, okay. exactly. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to Manchester, and that's Tony's yard. Hi, Tony. Oh, thanks, Mike. It might be a little inappropriate question for your show, but uh, I have a vinyl uh, siding house, and every year I get a lot of algae and mold. And uh, this year I've been trying to take care of it myself with soap and stuff like that, but it doesn't work. And I'm planning on calling a uh, one of these house uh, one of these house cleaners, these sprayers. And I know most of these guys use like a a, a, a bleach mix. Now, I do have some ornamentals around the house. Is there any, they say they they water them down first, they don't cause any damage. But am I vulnerable to some, you know, some problems? Because some of these ornamentals are very kind of expensive. 
Yeah, basically, I mean, it has potential. It may not do you know any damage, and it just depends upon the in, individual plant, the setting, and everything else whether it's going to do much damage. But it's because it's going to splash back off the house. So, you know, and then could put, I don't know how close the shrubs or trees or whatever are to your house. If there's, let's say, at least five feet, you're probably okay. If they're closer than that, then you might have a problem. Yeah, they're close. Is there any other chem? Is there any other products that are clean? I mean, I'm, I'm off the wall here a little bit with what your expertise. Is there any other product available, non bleach like, that will clean this algae and mold? Yeah, I would say just maybe just try a power washing and see if that can get it off there. But realizing that it's going to come back again, so mm-hmm. you're just temporarily taking care of the problem. I do just with straight water type of thing. Right. Give okay. it a shot hey, that way. Hey, listen, thanks for your help. I appreciate it. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to South County. And Stu, how are you today? Hey, Mike. Enjoyed, enjoyed your show for years. Fabulous. Um, I got a ranch house in South County in a neighborhood of uh, many, many dozen pin oaks, and uh, I had five in my yard when I bought my house 21 years ago, and I just had five pin oaks and grass, five towering pin oak trees. I didn't like that, so I started uh, cutting them down one by one. The last one came out uh, last year, and once I got the backyard cleared out, I wanted a, a shrub garden, so I put in, I have a total of 25 uh, shrubs and small trees. They replaced my a good part of my grass in the backyard. I no longer have any pin oaks, and I have a question about one of my uh, plants in the backyard. It's a smoke, <coughs> pardon me, it's a smoke tree, mm-hmm. and its growth is it sends up those uh, stalks like 10 feet above the main plant, and I have a, a friend who has a smoke tree in his front yard, and his is completely different growth than mine. It's more of a rounded type shrub. I would have liked to have had that style instead. So is that just a different? Do I have a different species than his smoke tree? It could be a different species, or it could just be a different hybrid of the same species. So is yours with purple leaves? Is it with green leaves? No, I have the purple leaves. Yeah. So it's just you know this particular hybrid because. If they were the exact same plant, regardless of the setting, there shouldn't be that much exaggerated difference in their growth habits. Okay, so what I did, I cut off all those tall stalks uh, in the last week, and I'm going to, next spring as it grows, I'm going to more or less keep it down like a shrub. I'm not going to let those tall stalks grow anymore. What you're going to do by doing that is prevent it, if you bought it because you like the smoke aspect of when it's in flower, then you're not going to have that. I under, yes. Yeah, I just wanted to I understand that. Yeah, but I'm just going to keep it more height-wise with uh, its neighbors around it. Okay, that's fine. Oh. As long as you understand. I mean, <laughs> the smoke tree is not exactly something that you're going to go, whoa! You know, but uh, they're all right. But, uh, yeah, you're, yeah, if you're growing it for the foliage, what you're going to do sounds like it's going to work. Yeah, because I had a star, I got a star magnolia that was out of control. It was too top-heavy. I severely trimmed it back last fall. I mean, severely. And uh, it has come back just beautiful this year. Now, I didn't have the flowers this right. spring, obviously. 
But I, now I'm keeping it shaped so it doesn't get top-heavy again, uh, realizing that I'm not going to get the flowers. So. Okay. So, yeah, it sounds like the, the foliage and this actual structural quality is more important than the flowering. Yes, yes, yes. That's so, fine. Uh, hey, thank you very much, Mike. Keep up the good work. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. It's a weekend with the Cards in Milwaukee against the Brewers. Hear game two of their three-game series tonight. Emron pregame show 515. First pitch 610. On your voice of the St. Louis Cardinals. KMOX and KMOX.com. Yes, folks. This past week, I was at a home in Oakville, and the gentleman takes care of everything himself. And wow, I mean, I was very, very impressed. It was a you know rolling topography and everything else, but uh, he did a great job. And speaking of Oakville, that's where Jan lives. Hi, Jan, how are you? I'm fine, Mike. Thanks for your show or my show. <laughs> yes, yours. Yes, and um, I have a couple things. One of them you may have answered with a lady earlier, but I had a, a redbud tree come up volunteer at the back of my yard in mm-hmm. a kind of uh, open area in, in a wooded area. And it was about three or so years ago when I first noticed it. And then I staked it. And it's about um, probably five feet or six feet high now. And um, I I was wondering when I should start cutting the lower limbs off. Well, that one is basically it's been there for a while. It was established by itself. So it wasn't like it came from a nurse or, you know, let's say a the nursery circumstance, professionally grown or whatever it happens to be. So you can, you know, limit up kind of whenever you want. I would okay. say, I mean, you're probably growing it because you like the flowers. I yeah. would probably do it right after it finishes flowering. Okay. And then um, thank you for that. And the other question was, have you ever heard of red stick azaleas? I've heard of red twig dogwoods, but not red stick azaleas. Oh, maybe azalea. it's red twig dogwoods. Yeah. Maybe that was it. Um um, I saw it on a show on HGTV, and um, one of the people planted them in front of a house, pretty close to the, um, pretty close to the front of the house. Uh-huh. And so I guess that's why I was thinking they were they had gotten them mixed up with dogwoods. But anyway, I was just wondering if they would. This this was in Indianapolis, and I was wondering if they would grow here because they were pretty even when they were bare. Yeah, I, I recommend them many times when I'm at doing the walk-and-talk consultations for people that in a lower wet spot because they can take low wet. And I mm-hmm. like the one that has the variegated leaf. So, in other words, during the summertime, it kind of looks like a cloud of white, more or less. And in the wintertime, when the leaves fall off, then you just see the bright twigs. Yes. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. I appreciate it. My pleasure. And now let's see. We'll stay in Oakville, save some gas, and go over to Pam's yard. Hi, Pam. Hi, Mike. Hi. I have a question about a crepe myrtle. I bought one this year uh, that will grow uh, somewhere around 10 feet. And it said I could put it in a pot, and I did. I have it on my deck. It's a huge pot that holds a giant bag of dirt. Uh, This winter, I'm not quite sure what to do with it. I'm going to keep it in there if I can keep it alive until it's time to put it in the ground, until it outgrows the pot. What do I do to maintain it this winter? Uh, 
probably don't have to do anything. As long as, you know, during the wintertime, it's not underneath the eave of your house or something. So, in other words, it's going to get moisture from rain or snow or whatever it happens to be. But that's, you know, I wouldn't do anything else. Okay, that's what I wasn't sure of. It's very pretty. My husband loves it. All right. Uh, We have one in the front that's in the ground. It's a short one. This is a tall one. So I wasn't quite sure what to do. I didn't want to bring it in. Right. No, definitely no, don't do that. So just leave it out there and let it do natural. Yep. Okay, thank you very much. Sure. And now let's see. Where should we go? I don't know. Let's go out to Baldwin. I don't think we've been there all day long. Oh, in the Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I don't know if the lady's still listening about the Bermuda issue, but there is a uh, product, a herbicide called Fusilate. It's very, very effective for Bermuda growing in an existing fescue lawn or whatever. Uh, It's it's an excellent herbicide. will do the job. I I would recommend uh, putting a surfacant along with it. And one other tip, if if she looks at it, you know, usually, Mike, as you well know, there are the Bermuda is elongated as runners and things like that. Right. All right. If it's in her existing lawn and she takes like a leaf rake before applying the fusillate and kind of lifts that those vines up on top the rest of the grass, it, it'll be more. It, it'll just be more effective. So is this an herbicide that uh, anybody can buy, or is it one that you have to be a professional? It, it, you do not. Okay. Um, now I don't know if Hummert has it. Uh, may I mention an online website or not? Sure, go ahead. Uh, do my own pest control dot com. The big outfit, uh, they have it, and uh, I would also recommend to her that, as you know, it's very invasive. So um, if she has a chance to get it and get it down this fall, and you know, might might get a start on it. Right. Well, great. Well, thanks, Bob. Yes, Fusilate. F U S I L A D E. All right. Perfect. All right. And now let's go to Villa Ridge, and that's where Chris lives. Hi, Chris. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Happy uh, rainy Saturday. Yes. Um, I uh, I had a couple of, well, it's one question but two different trees. Um, I wanted to move some cedars on my property, and um, I have a, a backhoe that I can dig up the trees with, so I Hopefully, I can get some bigger ones. Um, so I had a couple of questions. How big? What would the max height or whatever you would recommend to try that with? And when would you do it? And then I also have two tulip poplars that I didn't get in the ground this spring and kind of kept them watered all summer. So now I'm going to put them in sometime soon. And I just wanted to know when I could do that. Uh, basically, anything can be planted this time of year, so this is the ideal time. And as far as size of the juniper that you you know slash cedar that you're going to dig up, I would say if you go beyond uh, six feet, you're probably taking a little bit of a chance, even if you got a backhoe or whatever. Okay, so stick with six feet, and yeah. then the root balls. I know how big would they need to be. Probably whatever, the, let's say, the drip line, the diameter of the lower branches are, the the root ball should be at least three, three-fourths of that distance. So, in other words, if they're like four feet at the base, you want the root ball to be three feet. 
Okay. And in the same depth? Yeah, pretty down, much. Or? That should be deep enough for them. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you for your help. Right. Oh, and when? Oh, you said now is fine. Yeah, you can do it now. You can do pretty much that through the wintertime. And just make sure the new location that you're moving them to, when you put them back in the ground, don't plant them at the same level they're growing right now. Plant them so about uh, 10 to 15% of the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. Okay. Yeah, and what I was planning on doing is mixing in, like, dirt compost. Did I put any, um, like, one-inch clean in there or anything to help with drainage? Uh, you could, you know, because, I mean, junipers just in general like a well-drained. That's why you see them growing along the highway almost out of pure rock. So that wouldn't hurt, but uh, it's not going to probably make that much difference. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for your help. Sure. My pleasure. And uh, let's see where. Oh, I guess we'll take a break. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Let's head down 44 to uh, Eureka and into Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hi, Mike. I have um, a collection of, well, I I ordered three different types of dark uh, elephant ears. They're black. And when they came, they were potted. They weren't bulbs. Okay. And, I, and I've noticed that in my own experience in years past, when I dig up the dark uh, bulbs, they're, they're very little. They're, they're not the big giant bulbs like the green, like the green elephant ears. Right. And, and they, they, don't, uh, they don't do well over the winter. They seem to shrivel up and, uh, and lose lose their life and I'm, I'm not sure what I'm doing wrong or how how do I winter those over basically what you should do is dig them up and put them back into a pot and if you got a place where you can put grow lights in your basement or something like that keep them actively growing you know because what you're experiencing is basically what everybody that not everyone but a lot of the people that try to do the darker colored elephant ears that happens to them as well Okay, so you're saying I, I just put them in a smaller pot. Right. Um, you can put them in front of a bright, sunny window inside, just yeah. something that will keep them active. And probably in the future what I would do is just leave them in that pot and then sink that pot into the ground as opposed to planting them directly into the ground. That way then at the in the fall it makes it easier to just pull the pot up. And then if the bulb starts to get bigger, then just put it in a bigger pot. So these bulbs will get bigger? A very slow process. I see. Because there's oodles of... of um shoots coming out of the ground right uh they've they've just done beautifully on the deck this year great uh uh, but um okay gosh i'm gonna have the whole the whole deck in my in my back room pretty (laughs) 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 i went here over coleus and that that does nicely right um 
Okay. All right, great. Well, I'll give that a try, and I do thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And now okay. let's go from Eureka north to Florissant into Don Jard. Hi, Don. Good morning, Mike. Hi. How are you this morning? Very good. Uh, I would like to know, uh, I have some hydrangeas in a pot, and i like to know, is it too early to take them out and put them in the ground as of now? No, this is a good I time. wait to, a little later? Yeah, this is a Just good a, time to do it. I mean, the ground's warm. It's perfect for them. So thanks, Don. And uh, let's go now to uh, Roger and Rogers in Belleville. Hello, Mike. Hi. Uh, suggestion for uh, the problem with uh, Bermuda grass in your lawn. I use a product called Turflon, T-U-R-F-L-O-N. Right. E-S-T-E-R. And uh, you can get that through Amazon. And, uh, and that's that's worked for me. Yeah, the turf lawn, you know, any of the esters are a little bit toxic, so you got to be really careful how you, you know, apply them and everything else. But it sounds like you know exactly what you're doing. All right, I just want to give that tip. Great, so turf lawn ester. Thank you, and now let's go to Donna in St. Louis County. Hi, Donna. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I had to have a um, red leaf maple pulled out of the yard because it was diseased or something. But I love the tree, and I did notice that I've got some sprouts that came up, so I put them in a pot. One is a couple of feet tall, and, and then I've got a couple others that are just maybe two inches tall. How can I overwinter that? Because I don't know where I'm going to put them right now if I get a chance to replant it. Um, I already had something different put in that area where it was once where it was uh, uh, originally planted that had to be removed. Basically, leave them in the pot. You know, in one of your garden spaces, just dig a hole and drop the pot down into the hole, leaving the t- about one inch of the top of the rim above the surrounding ground. Uh, the soil about an inch above the ground uh, it, that's in the pot or just? No, no. The top edge of the pot above the surrounding ground. Okay. All right. Sounds great. All right. And she, they told me that the red leaf maples were having some problem in this area. Have you heard anything about that? No, not really. Okay, great. That's that's consoling. Thanks so much, Mike. I appreciate your help today. Sure. My pleasure. And Ellen lives in the city of St. Louis. Hi, Ellen. Hi. Good morning, Hi. Mike. Thanks for my show. I have um, a young azalea that I bought in early summer, like at clearance time, and it has bloomed since then, but I still have it in the pot. Can I still plant it um, in its winter space? Can I do that? Yeah, as long as you got the soil prepared and make sure that the top of the root ball is above the surrounding ground. So okay. it's you know, like 20% above, so you're going to mound the soil up to it. And yeah. uh, it's going to be somewhat iffy. Because the azaleas are, you know, not really the, one of the best shrubs for here. There's some spectacular ones. There's no getting around yeah. it. But there's I have been good p- ones typically, but and rhododendrons. But um, I, I, this one I did not get in the ground in time, so I hope right. it was still okay. All right. So fall's a good time to plant. Oh, great. Thank you. Yep. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Yeah, my pleasure. And Joe from Baldwin, if you can do it kind of quickly. I I will. Uh, this is, again, uh, sort of a follow-up to the previous caller, rhododendrons and azaleas. I have had some good luck with rosium elegans in one part of my yard. I came back, I had planted four more, and I planted three smaller ones on the backside of my house. 
I've ended up losing them. They just died. And I'm wondering if I should uh, try to replace them or um, give it up if a lost cause. <laughs> Basically, it's going to be a roll of dice. You may have good luck with them by replanting them. Just make sure the soil's you know, acidic, not too close to the foundation, because it's alkaline and that kind of thing. And it's in soils very well drained. But, uh, I mean, it's just, like I said, I say a lot, it's a roll of the dice whether they're going to survive or not. Great. Well, two did out of the seven that I planted, two did survive. Great. So that's, that's why I would consider replanting them. Right. I mean, give it a shot and see what happens. All right. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And for anybody that has a zoysia lawn, your zoysia, because the days are getting shorter, is going to grow less, you know, as far as height-wise, so you're going to have to mow less often. And don't do any fertilizing to your zoysia, but your cool-season lawn should be. Mike Miller, KMYS Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Calling all pop culture enthusiasts. Are you obsessed with all things celebrity? Do you live for the drama, the laughs, and the unexpected moments that unfold on social media? Then you're going to want to tune in to the Comments by Celebs podcast. Join us three times a week as we deep dive into every aspect of pop culture. Whether it's dissecting the latest trends or just chatting about your favorite celebs, Comments by Celebs has you covered. We have new episodes out every week. Follow and listen to Comments by Celebs on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.